Good morning. Today we are concluding our series on perspective. This is our final series. And as we've been looking at the importance of how we view things, to recognize that the direction of our life is going to be connected to how we see things and how we act in them, whether we believe in God or not, whether we see church as a, an organization or as a movement, whether worship is something that is given to us by God or something that we earn. All these things have been part of our conversation on perspective, no, recognizing our ability and choices make a difference in our lives, that we don't have a, a fatalistic view, but we recognize free will and the importance that that has in how we move forward. And I know last week I was real hard on some of you that are single. I apologize. My wife told me you should say you're sorry. So I'm sorry. Um, doesn't mean it wasn't true. Um, but there is a, an important responsibility that we have. At the same time, I know it's difficult in, when you are single, uh, especially for the ladies. Um, you're kind of at the mercy of guys who can be jerks sometimes. And so those things those all have an influence on how we move forward. Well, today we're going to talk about inquiry. Inquiry. I need to say it right if I'm going to talk about it. And what I'm talking about is questions, having the understanding as, as we look at life that we can question what's happening. You know, when my children were smaller, they were just full of questions. Everything about rain, about rainbows, about cars, about you name it. Everything was a question. They were just so inquisitive. And there's something that's really remarkable just in how we think and a child's thoughts. I mean, there's convergent thinking. And convergent thinking is the ability to give the correct answer to standard questions that do not require significant creativity. It's the two plus two equals kind of questions. And our schools are really focused on teaching kids this kind of thinking. But kids ask, what if? And it's this kind of thinking that we would call divergent thinking. And it's really a more complex form of thinking. And divergent thinking is a thought process or method used to generate creative ideas by exploring many possible options. And so children have this ability to think more diversely in this divergent type of thinking. And that's why it is easier for a four-year-old to learn a different language than it is a 34-year-old. Doesn't that seem crazy? How can these kids pick up on languages so quickly? And we're doing Rosetta Stone and we're going to these classes and it still doesn't click. It's just like, bing, those words don't make sense to my brain. I, those pronunciations aren't something that I can understand. And because of my Linear thinking and my ability to just see things and the two plus two equals four mentality, when I hear something that sounds like gibberish, I put it in the gibberish category. 
And it's not. It's another language, but I don't understand it, so I just don't try and focus in on it. And so it takes a lot more work for an older person to think in this divergent way. In fact, 92% of kids five years old and under are really proficient at divergent thinking. Once they become 10 years old, that number drops down to 32%. And when you get into high school, the number is single digits. Because as we get older, we stop thinking more widely. And a lot of the discoveries, whether it be in science, things that take place in music, are usually coming from this divergent way of thinking. Thinking outside the box, what if we take bread and let it get moldy? We'll get penicillin. It was actually an accident, but it kind of happened. Who would have thought moldy bread could be useful for something? But that's outside of the scope of how we think normally, and it becomes something that becomes useful in these things. And so the idea of inquiry, the idea of asking questions, the idea of thinking about all these different ideas is something that I think is put within us. I think God has intentionally made us to be inquisitive. Jesus himself asked over 300 questions that we have recorded in the New Testament. And I find that amazing because why would Jesus need to ask questions? Doesn't he know these things? But a lot of his questions would be to engage the people who he is talking to so that they could start to think. And so what I want to do is look at some passages that help us to see how questions are used to shape how we think. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. And we see that God asks questions. And so we talked about this story earlier in chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Remember, Cain brought an offering to the Lord that wasn't of faith. It was of his own works. And God received his brothers, but not his. And so God is having a conversation. And look at God asks a question. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So God asks him three questions right off the bat. Why are you angry? Why are you so downcast? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Now, why wouldn't God just say to Cain, hey, I know what you're thinking, knock it off. Right, parents, are are you with me? Okay, your kid's about to do some, hey, I know what you're thinking, knock it off. Stop thinking. Every time you do, it causes problems, okay? And and that's kind of been our mentality. Hey, I know I'm going to stop you. I'm going to tell you, just knock it off. But God doesn't. God asked Cain, A question, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
And so what God is doing is trying to engage Cain's thought process. Because right now what's taking place is Cain is not able to see outside his anger. He's not able to see outside of his perspective. And to see that he is being blinded by his jealousy and rage, he is oblivious to that. And so God is trying to get him to think outside of his focus. I don't like what happened. I'm jealous of my brother. I'm going to put an end to this. And God is trying to get to him. And he doesn't say, hey, I know what you're doing. Stop it. He says, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Can I get you to think outside of this framework so that you could see that there is another alternative to your choice that there is something more to what you are thinking to do and so god asks him a question to help him get out of that convergent thinking no this is what i need to do have you ever noticed that when you're angry Thoughts come to your mind and you get solidified in those thoughts. Someone cuts you off on the freeway. Your thought, I'm going to cut them off. Does anything make sense about that? What's that going to accomplish? How is that going to make you feel better? Isn't that going to lead to maybe road rage? Could someone get injured at this? None of those thoughts come to mind. All that comes to mind with some people, is I'm going to cut them off. And they're driven, literally, to to go and stop this from happening. Cut me off? Boom, my mind is just laser-guided mode. I'm going to cut you off. You're all that matters to me that I can make your life miserable because what you did to me. You know, and then you find it's a mom and she's there with her little baby and she's oblivious to you and then hopefully you snap out of it. But... You get focused and you can't see anything other than this is the answer to the problem I have. I need to deal with this this way. And God asked Cain, why are you angry? Why? Think about it. If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Think about it. And question is the opportunity for inquiry. It's the opportunity to get our minds and open them up to something else that might be taking place. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. We've seen God asking questions, and here's an instant where Abraham is asking questions, starting at verse 20. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. This is just an interesting incident that happened. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth 
do right? This guy's got some chutzpah, okay? Talking to God this way. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five, for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. We hear this. And we don't see God getting angry. And what we do is through Abraham's inquiry, find out something about God, that he will not judge the righteous and the wicked alike. That as Abraham puts it, surely the Lord will not judge the righteous and the wicked in the same way. Surely God won't deal with the righteous the way he's going to deal with the wicked. And through this line of question, I mean, there's 10 questions that he asks. Will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? And each time he asks a question, we get a little bit more insight into actually the heart of God. And it happens through Abraham now asking God questions. What do you think about that? Asking God a question. Do you think that's okay or do you have it in your frame of mind? Oh, you shouldn't question God because he's God. We're, you know, just people. We have to show reverence to him. Well, it doesn't seem as if questions are a lack of reverence. We don't get the sense that God is ticked at Abraham. Hey, knock it off, okay? I said I wouldn't do it. Trust me. He actually just goes along with this line of thinking. And for some reason, Abraham felt comfortable asking and asking and asking. Do you feel comfortable asking and asking and asking? When something traumatic happens into your life, do you think, God, why is this happening? God, what's the meaning? What am I supposed to do with this? God, how are you involved? Are you involved? God, is this right? Is this okay? Are you good with this? In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, the Lord, we won't turn there, the Lord is talking and he's almost talking out loud it says that in the year that king uzziah died that isaiah saw the lord 
high and lifted up and, and the train of his robe filled the glory and the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and Isaiah said, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I, I dwell on a people of unclean lips. In other words, we're, we're just, we're deceitful and, and there's just something wrong with us. We are broken as people. And then this angel touches his lips with a hot coal, signifying this purification. And then God has this matter-of-fact conversation. And he just says, in earshot of Isaiah, who shall I send to this people? And Isaiah says, here I am. You can send me. But God doesn't say, Isaiah, Go. He says, who am I going to send? Because that question does something in Isaiah. That question now sparks in him that God needs someone to do this and I am now the person who can do this. It isn't a command that I have to do this. It is an awareness of something that is needed and also the awareness that God is looking for someone And now I can step into that. You see, it happens through a question. It happens through God saying, what am I going to do? Who will I send? And then Isaiah steps in and says, here I am, send me. You know, I I, I think we've had this idea, or at least I have, that questions are a lack of faith. I even heard that, you know, when you see a sign that says wet paint and it's instinct to go and touch it, that that's a sign that, you know, you're really just a rebellious person and you don't want to follow the right path. And so you just have to go ahead. And even though it says wet paint, you're going to touch it anyway. But, you know, maybe what it is is actually proving that we are curious and we want to find out if something is true or not. Is it really wet paint or is that sign old? How do you know? I'm going to touch it. Oh, it is wet. Now I know. You see, inbred in us is this curiosity. We are wired that way. We are wired as explorers. Does that make you feel good to know you were an explorer? At least you were when you were a baby. Babies need to explore everything they see it's got to go in the mouth what does this keys taste like okay that's what keys taste like what is this what does my foot taste like foot goes in the mouth when you're a baby you can do that it's a good thing as you get older that stops and you know and so you're naturally curious And, and, you know, the parent puts the blanket on the ground and puts the baby on the blanket. There you go. Stay on the blanket. No way. I'm going to stay on the blanket? Who made that rule up? I'm going for the dog. And they start to crawl, and pretty soon crawling isn't good enough, and so they have to stand up. And why would they want to stand up? It's so awkward, and they're so wobbly, and they're so klutzy, and they fall down. And then they laugh and they get back up and then they start walking all crazy like. And then they have to start running and then you need a skateboard or a bike and then you need a car and then you need insurance. (laughs) 
But there is this wanting to explore. And Jesus said that we are to ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be open. He even goes and he says, ask, it is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. James tells us that you have not because you ask not. That you're lacking because you're not actually asking. And maybe you don't have the answer because you're not seeking. And you see, inquiry is how we find truth. Is the paint wet? Let's find out. Let's ask or let's touch it and see. Inquiry is how we grow. It's how we learn. But for some reason, we have become afraid of inquiry. And so certain things, even like science, well, science is now the enemy of faith. Why? When did that happen? And I think sometimes we can think that, you know, somewhere science is going to turn over some stone and that stone is going to prove that God doesn't exist. And so what happens is we become afraid to turn over stones because we're afraid of what we're going to find. But God has wired us to be inquisitive. And so we shouldn't be afraid of biology or archaeology or science or sociology or, you know, any of these things that would paleontology. You know, we, we shouldn't be afraid of fossils. Oh, no. What if I find a fossil of a man with wings? That'd be cool. What does it mean? I don't know. But you see, if you are a believer in Christ, you should be a pursuer of truth. Because Jesus said to seek, because Jesus said to ask, because Jesus said to knock. And I think so many times the world sees the people of faith as being afraid of truth because we are afraid to ask questions. And so we want to tell our kids, don't ask questions, just believe. But something happens when you start seeing the world around you and you don't see people asking the questions. When I was in sixth grade, fifth or sixth, sixth grade, I got this flyer they gave us on drug use. And in this flyer, it talked about marijuana and it talked about what would happen to you if you smoked marijuana. And, and it had all these, you know, just evil things that would take place. But the thing is, I knew people who smoked marijuana and these things didn't take place in their, in their lives. And so what I said is, this isn't... Now, I'm not telling you to smoke marijuana, okay? I'm just saying that what I saw wasn't the reality of what was happening. And so I took this and I said, this is a lie. Why? Because I can see that that isn't true. Now, I can see a lot of things that are true in this area of smoking pot or use of drugs that are detrimental. 
But you see, you tell me you can't do this, you can't see this, and then I see it, it's different and something doesn't register with me. And that's happened to a lot of our children as they've grown up in church and they've heard things. And they said, well, you know what? I'm looking at this and this isn't lining up with what you're saying. And we tell them, stop looking. Stop looking, but you're supposed to seek. You're supposed to ask, why doesn't this match what you're saying? And then you find out that your religious framework has been tainted by prejudice. And so what are you going to do when you find out that this isn't true in the world that you're living? How are you going to work that out? Because God isn't there going, oh no, now what do I do? We should not shy away from truth ever. In fact, those who are followers of Jesus should be the most adamant in pursuing the truth because Jesus said the truth will set us free. He is truth. And what we will find as we get closer to truth is more revelation of who God is. So I don't have to be afraid of the truth. I don't have to be afraid of science. I don't have to be afraid of society. I don't have to live in fear of finding out something that is going to contradict what I believe. If I live in that way, then there's something wrong with what I believe. Because we should not be afraid of truth. We are to pursue it. We are to hold fast to it. It's supposed to be a part of our character. I have never searched for an answer to something that I had questions of in Scripture or in my faith. Someone has brought a passage to me and says, well, I don't know what this means. It seems to have a contradiction or this seems just you know, out of date. I have never studied the scripture and not come away with some kind of treasure in my faith. Every time I have inquired, I have become richer, not poorer in my faith. Now, there's a lot of things I don't understand. There's a lot of questions I have, but none of my inquiry has made me afraid or has left me abandoned in my belief in Jesus or God. If anything, they have reinforced it. Because God has created you and me to be inquisitive, to ask questions. And when we stop and we get that narrow, just this is how life is, that convergent thinking, I'm just looking for the right answer, that's when we're susceptible to prejudice, and not asking things outside the box. What if becoming like a child is really not about just being innocent, but it's about being able to think? In Exodus 3.3, so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn. I love that Moses' encounter with God began with, huh, wonder what's going on over there. 
What if when Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, he meant unless you have the ability to think, to inquire, to actually ask and sink, seek God, you don't enter the kingdom of heaven. What if it's not just about, well, kids are so innocent. What if it's about kids are so inquisitive? Kids are so curious to find out, to learn, to investigate, to explore, to want to know, to desire. I don't know what rocks taste like. I need to try one. But I won't eat my peas. Because I know what those taste like. And so, what if this inquiry is what actually leads us to the knowledge of God? It was a a thought, an inquiry that led Moses to an encounter with God that changed his life. What if he's, I'm too busy with sheep to check out that bush. I don't know what's going on over there. Okay, let's get a move on. I'm just all about the business. But he said, hey, something's going on there. And God used this curiosity to pull him in so that he could reveal himself to Moses. One last passage I want to turn to, and that's in Matthew chapter 16. Here we have a story of Jesus and the disciples, starting at verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, here's one of his questions, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. All compliments, by the way. But what about you? Another question he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. First, Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And what he's doing is he's allowing their minds to wander to all the things that they've heard. Well, people said you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets, Elijah. People say you're John the Baptist who's come back. These are all the things I've heard. And so their minds start thinking about all these things. And then Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And Peter, who usually gets it wrong, gets it right. And he says, you're the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you know how you know this? It's not because you're smart, because you haven't been. It's because my father has revealed this to you. And by Jesus asking a question, that inquiry asked in Peter's mind, who is God? And there in that question, the voice of God was speaking to Peter and saying, He's the Christ, the son of the living God. And in that space 
where he started asking a question in that place of imagination and wonder and just inquiry, God's voice was heard. Unless you come like a little child. Maybe the reason we have to be like a little child, maybe the reason that we have to inquire is because in that thought process, that diverse thinking, when we start thinking outside of just our focus, trying to find what is right, maybe outside there we are actually able to hear the voice of God. And and so now the person who is not of faith, who starts asking questions, well, how do I know the Bible is true? Maybe it is in that question that the voice of God is starting to speak. Well, you need to read it. Well, how do I know, you know, that Jesus is real? Maybe in that place of thought and question is the voice of God saying, well, you should talk to someone and find out. Maybe in that place of question, I wonder if my life has purpose. I wonder if I'm here for a reason. Maybe in that question is the voice of God whispering to the soul saying, I have created you. You are fearfully, wonderfully made. Maybe in the question is the space for God to speak. And so instead of us trying to just be right, just tell people what they need to believe, maybe we need to make a space so that people can be comfortable to ask the questions. Because maybe the voice of God is heard in the question, who do you say that I am? And the voice of God speaks to Peter and Peter speaks out, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus smiles and says, I know how you know. And the reason that took place is because Jesus asked a question. Instead of telling people what they need to believe, try asking them a question. And see if the voice of God doesn't whisper in their own soul and lead them to the truth. Let's pray. Lord, you are so much bigger than we will ever be able to figure out. You are so much deeper than we have the ability to understand. But sometimes that makes us uneasy. We want to know and have certainty about everything. And some things you've made really clear and some things you have left us to inquire. Lord, might we not be afraid of question, but may we see question as opportunity to learn, opportunity to hear, opportunity to grow. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be more like you. And instead of just telling our children what to do, maybe engage them to start thinking more divergently, 
so that they can keep that process of asking and wondering. When we talk to people about our faith in you, may we not be so matter-of-fact, give them what is supposedly the right answer and not allow them to have any question, but maybe we can engage them as you did with the question. What is the greatest commandment? Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you think Jesus is? And in the space of that question, Lord, work, speak, make yourself known. For whoever seeks will find. Whoever asks will be answered to. And whoever knocks, the door will be opened. So seek, ask, and knock. Lord, you've created us to do that. And in doing that, we will find you. Thank you, Lord, for making yourself known in the question. And may we continue to question and find more and more of who you are. We do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.